Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting edition of Out on That Line. I am Alex, joined, as always, by my co-host, Jeff. Jeff, how you doing tonight? Forget the questions, Alex. Someone give me another beer. Well, Jeff, I can give you another beer in just a second. But first, you're going to have to answer a series of questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. On a hot summer night, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses? Will he offer me his mouth? Yes. Will he offer me his teeth? Yes. Will he offer me his jaws? Yes. Will he offer me his hunger? Yes. Again, will he offer me his hunger? Yes. And will he starve without me? Yes. And does he love me? Yes. Yes. On a hot summer night, would you offer your throat to the wolf with the red roses? Yes. I bet you say that to all the boys. <laughs> what a bunch of nerds oh my god that felt so weird oh yeah that was pretty weird considering that's a boy and a girl but we did it oh well you know if anything could have made that song more progressive it it was out on that line podcast in the year 2022 batting a thousand as always (laughs) well this week we're going to be talking about meatloaf the life and times of Michael slash Marvin, Leah Day, a.k.a. Meatloaf, one of the greatest rock and roll singers that has ever graced the planet. And we're also joined, and he stayed quiet like a little church mouse. We're also joined this week by friend of the pod, now three-time, four-time, four-time co-host of Out on That Line, Tanner. Welcome back, my friend. Four time, four time, four time, four time. What's going on, boys? <laughs> Glad to be sitting down and talking about the guy that, that really meant so much to us musically for, for so many years and will continue to mean the world to us until we're pushing up daisies. The man, the myth, the legend, the loaf. Yes, he unfortunately passed away uh, just a short time ago and... We kind of delayed doing this episode because I think we wanted to make sure we did it right. We didn't want to wait too long, obviously, but we could have rushed it right out as the next one. But I think we were, one, interested in getting you, Tanner, on the pod with us. So giving it a little bit more time to you know go around your schedule worked out for the best. It allowed us all to do a little bit of research, really figure out the things that we want to talk about. So the focus, obviously, is going to be on the music here. Uh, but we're also going to touch on throughout i'm sure there's random facts and stories and anecdotes and things like that that are going to pop up throughout um so strap in wander on down the ancient hallway with us and we're going to get so deep into meatloaf so if you already love meatloaf you're going to love what we have to say tonight if you don't know anything about meatloaf listen in maybe you'll learn a little something if you don't like meatloaf first of all fuck you and second Listen to the pod. Maybe we'll change your mind. So do we want to start with maybe a little background? Alex, did you have anything you want to like pop off with here? No, I mean, I just wanted to remark that with the passing of Meatloaf, I always assumed, probably because we have friends like Matt Reno, that 
Meatloaf was somehow a weirdly niche thing with our hometown. Like a lot of people from Barrie are very pro Meatloaf. Um, mm-hmm. I myself was introduced to it by my terminally square father, whose other taste in music is like uh, he likes Jackson Brown, and then like Carly Simon, and then the only cool thing that he likes is Meatloaf. So I've been yep. listening to Meatloaf since I was a little kid. Probably a little too young to be listening to some of the sexual themes in these songs <laughs> yeah. to really contextualize them. But I always thought that Meatloaf was like a very like niche berry thing. Because a lot of the music that Meatloaf made in his lifetime was m- reminiscent of our other favorite guy, Springsteen. Two very mm-hmm. different approaches from the songwriting of Jim Steinman and the songwriting of Bruce Springsteen. To the same kind of thing, like we live in, we were from a town that was kind of what those guys were trying to express in their music. So, mm-hmm. as soon as Meatloaf died, people came out of the fucking woodwork and were talking to me about people I never in a million years would have pegged as Meatloaf fans came out of the woodwork and were beside themselves. So, Meatloaf fans, we are not vocal, but we are out there. And we are passionate, and hopefully this episode will be a lightning rod to our cause. And this is an episode we've, we were planning before he died, and it sucks that it took him passing away for us to finally mm-hmm. do this. But we are the three men to prosecute this episode featuring the three bats. Mm-hmm. So let's get mm-hmm. to it. Yes. Um, so what, what I really I wanted to start with is kind of getting a little bit into how each of us came into our love of the loaf. And I'd like to start with Tanner. Yeah, we'll oh, try to keep okay. these a little short. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll keep, it. Yeah, so I'll keep it short. we can get into real meat and potatoes here. <clears throat> yeah, uh-huh. nice. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I mean, basically my, my first, you know, listen, the first song I ever heard uh, was Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Um we were at my grandmother's house. You know, this is the dawn of of music theft on the internet. Uh, we had installed Kazaa on her computer, and when I say me, <laughs> we, I mean me and my mom. Uh, so we totally bricked my, my grandmother's computer illegally downloading music on it. Uh, <laughs> and my my mom made this uh, CD, this like road trip CD for her and her really good friend Julie, her college roommate. And, you know, uh, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant was one of the songs that was on that CD. So, like, that was the mm-hmm. first time I ever heard that song. So that CD is kind of formative in itself. But um, Paradise by the Dashboard Light was on that CD. And I had never heard anything like this before, you know, in my life. Uh, also, maybe a tad young for some of the subject matter. Maybe I didn't quite get what was going mm-hmm. on when Phil Rizzuto was calling the baseball game. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Sex and drums and rock and roll, yeah. baby. Uh, and then, you know, a little bit later on, I want to say maybe seventh grade, um, friend of the pod, Brandon, uh, came into school and he had a burned copy of uh, Bad Out of Hell. We listened to it in like homeroom or something like that on like some small, you know, little CD player that like a teacher had in their room. And it opens, you know, with Bad Out of Hell. And it just like knocked all of us on our asses. Like it was just... Again, and I and I had, I knew Paradise by the Dashboard Light, but I didn't know anything else off of it. And so, uh, you know, back in the day of you know the burning CDs and and uh, you know friends having a CD, you burn it, you give it to someone else, it circulates through the friend group and everything. That's really how how I first got into into Meatloaf. And then um, 
Jeff, when, when you and I became friends, that's when I really, 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 that's when I got into meatloaf. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that's, I'm sure we'll tell that story uh, once we get to some of the tunes off of Bad Out of Hell, too. But that's my meatloaf genesis story right there. Excellent, excellent. And so, Alex, you had mentioned kind of briefly what what introduced you to it. Was there something specific? Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time, like, achieving meatloaf consciousness. My dad's people are from New Jersey, and that was a five-hour car ride. And when you're a child, that might as well be an eternity. Right now, that's nothing. I've driven all across the country several times at this Mm -hmm. point. But at that point, I was like, oh, my God. So the only thing to pass the time was music. And usually it was my mom loved the fucking Eagles, I love my mom to death, but if she's got one fault, it's that she's a fucking Eagles fan. So there was a lot of Eagles that we had to suffer through. A lot of life in the fast lane. Uh, But then when it was my dad's turn, he had Bad Out of Hell and Bad Out of Hell 2 on cassette. And that was the shit that I was really looking forward to. I don't know what happened in between Raffi. I like to eat, 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 eiples and bananas and meatloaf. (laughs) But I did a lot of growing up in like two years. I just remember like those it, it not only like passed the time on a road trip. And again, I couldn't contextualize what any of these songs were about, but they were exciting and they were familiar. And it was just something I could sink my teeth into without having to really know what it was all about. I just like got the sense of excitement that came from the music. And obviously, as a child, you're like, it's like nothing I've ever heard before. But to this day, it remains something totally singularly unique to me and i think that's why this is music that i can speak for all of us we'll be listening to for the rest of our lives Mm -hmm. well i remember when i was younger probably like eight years old something like that um my dad there was two cds that i constantly would take from my dad's room and it was aerosmith big ones and also meatloaf bad out of hell too and i would just listen on like loop the album the whole way through i mean every single like nuance of every single song on that album like every single word all of it i it's all like muscle memory ingrained in me from just so so many years i mean going on almost we're going like 25 years at this point at least of of listening to that album so that was the one that really got me into it and um, then, you know, finding out about Bad Out of Hell 1 because my dad had it on vinyl and just getting deeper and deeper into it. And just like you said, it's singular. There's nothing else that's like Meatloaf. It's the best parts of like musical theater and rock and roll and just storytelling, just all wrapped up into one big, gigantic voice with some of the best production you've ever heard, especially on Bad Out of Hell 1 and 2. Um, just an incredible like artists all the way through. I mean, my entire life, like every, the whole part of my life that I'm able to, was able to create like formative memories, you know, all that kind of stuff. I've been listening to Meatloaf and it's just, it, it always, it never got worse. You know, sometimes it got way, way better than, than other times, but it just, I don't know. It was consistent. You always knew there was such a huge catalog of awesome, awesome music to go back to with this guy it was like it was unlike anything else and i think that's the thing i love the most about it and that's what i'm going to miss the most about having him around on planet earth that's a real quick thing i want to say too there's a lot of cynicism 
and I think I said this on my Instagram the day that he died, which is the lamest thing I've ever said, but go with me. (laughs) 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 But there's a lot of cynicism that goes with a celebrity death because you get a huge contingent of people who are like, dude, why are you making this about you? You didn't know the fucking guy. And at the time I was like, yeah, we do. That's the whole point of being a musician is letting people get to know you and sharing what's important to you and bringing them into your world. And Meatloaf and Jim Steinman, because I think it's important to make sure Jim Steinman's name comes up a lot during this. Um, mm-hmm. What the two of them gave us brought us closer to them in many ways than we could have gotten if we were around them physically. So then the other argument is, well, you know, he wasn't making music up until the end. Like, he hadn't made anything, let alone anything good. So, like, he's gone. What do you care? And I'm like, that is, like, the most callous thing to say about Mm -hmm. a human being that just died. His worth is not tied up in his productivity, okay? Also, Mm -hmm. that means you're asking for more albums like Hell in a Handbasket (laughs) and Braver Than We Are, which I (laughs) highly recommend that you don't ask for more of. Don't do it. Yeah, don't don't do it. But in all seriousness, it was a, it was a human being. So being like he wasn't making anything new. Why you care that he died? I'm like, fuck off. That's so unnecessarily yeah. shitty. Well, and and you had mentioned earlier, you know how people kind of came out of the woodwork. Um, friend of the pod, Mitch, his mom texted me uh, that when Meatloaf passed, and she said, you know, sad news about Meatloaf today. Still remember when his album came out? We played it over and over and over. Which goes to to what what Jeff was saying, and she's talking about Bad Out of Hell One. Uh, that was the best summer ever, uh, and like so so for her, the Bad Out of Hell is like a, a a time machine back to when she had this Datsun car and was living in a beach house in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. You know, like, and again, it's it's just so interesting, like the different ways that that me love touch people and everything. Do you think Jim Steinman wrote one of his songs about Mitch's mom? <laughs> <laughs> It was a hot summer night at the beach. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. Was was that? It's just like, because of the album, they had to. They couldn't fit on. You took the words right out of my le- mouth, comma Lorene. They couldn't fit that on there, so they had to cut the last part off. Yeah, Steinman titles too long anyway. Yeah, that parentheses, yeah. hyphens. We got brackets, <laughs> semicolon. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was. That was yeah. I think um, I think a lot of people probably have that have that feeling about him. You know, I'm sure like my dad told me like Meatloaf was one of the ones that he'd play on the big ass Bose speakers on his record player. You know, nights before they'd be getting ready to go out. You know, so and it's just like you both listen to Meatloaf on on vinyl. It's a great experience. Oh yeah, on a big ass set of speakers, it's even better. Um, so it's just I feel like he has these kind of core memories for so so many people that there's not a lot of artists that have you know kind of that can make that claim and i mean let alone like the third best selling i don't know where it is at this point on the charts but like bad out of hell was the third best selling album ever for a long time for like decades only beaten out by the eagles greatest hits and carol king tapestry and i'm sure it's got bumped down now because there's all sorts of weird you know, kind of qualifiers for what constitutes an album sale. Um, but that album sold millions. He sold over 70 million albums worldwide. That's a crazy, crazy number. Crazy number. I have some figures here if we want to, like, really get into the weeds with it. It's a Hit it. Yeah, let's let's get let's let people know who we're dealing with here. Bad Out of Hell 1. So here, I'll start with a fucked up thing first. We'll 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 eat our shit sandwich. 
in 2003 on the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, Bad Out of Hell mm-hmm. was 343 out of 500. Okay. Gross. Uh, 2020 removed from the list altogether. Mm-hmm. As if fucking Rolling Stone was already lacking in credibility in many ways. This ought to clinch mm-hmm. it for you. It did for me. Um, let's see. It continues to sell. Bad Out of Hell continues to sell 200,000 copies per year. Uh, 30 to 40 million copies sold worldwide to date. 25 times platinum in Australia, 14 in the U.S., 11 in the U.K. It was on the top of the U.K. charts for 522 weeks, behind only Fleetwood Mac's Rumors and Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon in terms of that run. So pretty pretty uh, tough statistics here. You mentioned Australia. It is the best-selling album of all time in Australia. Fucking A. Hell yeah. They get yeah. it. Hell yeah. Those fucking get kangaroos it. know what's up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kangaroos just out there bopping to, <laughs> to for crying out loud. You know, I <laughs> love you. Yeah. Keeping their little pouches. That's their little the little Joey in their CD player. <laughs> <laughs> they must have some awesome anti-skip technology, because like kangaroos huh. be bouncing. It's the Sony with the wraparound headphones all over again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but that's like that a story for a jog and try not to rip the headphones off your head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That weird feeling where like it just rips your ear like clean off when you. <laughs> oh my god! Did I burst my eardrum? <laughs> well, I'll teach you to listen to rock and roll while you exercise. It's the devil's music. Should we? Uh, well, do you have any more figures? Because I feel like there's. Is there more? Those are the most impressive ones to strut. I okay. hate to be negative, but it's kind of all downhill from there. Um, by the time we get to okay. the third bed out of hell, so we'll we'll, okay. well greatest strong, greatest selling album of all time in Australia. That's something to hang your hat on, baby. Fuck yeah, that is a strong performance. Well, we decided, um, and it turned out like this rule was followed generally, but there were some picks we just couldn't leave out. So we each picked one song. From each of the Bad Out of Hell albums, both Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell, and the Monsters Loose Bad Out of Hell 3 album, as well as the first one. Um, we've also added a couple more. They all happen to be from Bad Out of Hell 2. I think probably is the most uh, linchpin meatloaf album, at least for me. Um, and I think for, at le- I know me and Tanner, just from all the time we spent listening to that one. And I'm guessing you too, you as well, Alex, because it just got the bangers. And I'm he just let his nuts really hang on that one. <laughs> oh, big time. I will say I am a bad out of hell. OG number one Stan first and foremost. OK, but I'm not going to sit here and call too inferior in any way. It's two completely okay. different feelings, two completely different. Because what? First one came out in 77 and the second one came out in 91, 92. Yeah, there was a long gap. It was a hotly anticipated album. Yeah, I mean, it's two very different versions of the same story. I don't want to say the same album because there are so many differences to be celebrated from that time span that it took. But it's a continuation of all those themes, that whole story. It's it's uh, uh, an amazing progression between, I would say, between all three. I know a lot of people kind of throw some side eye at, at Bad Out of Hell 3 because they felt like it was a little disjointed because it's like, I think seven Steinman songs, two of which were used in different projects originally. But I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't understand how you can think that 
that one's disjointed. I think it there's more unity to it than it has any right to. So that's another yeah. testament to Meatloaf is like through decades, Meatloaf and Jim Steinman, through decades, there's this much thematic unity and it, it's like an absolutely appropriate continuation of where they started with Bad Out of Hell in 1977. So should we get into it? We should absolutely just get into it. And I think <laughs> what better song to start with than the pick of our guest Tanner. It's Bad Out of Hell, the title song from the debut album. Yeah, and uh, it just comes right out of the gate and it punches you right in the face. There's no there's no build into this. It doesn't start out quiet. It just comes right out. It, it It's telling you, essentially, you haven't heard anything like this before and you won't again. That's what it's doing in uh, essentially the first minute and a half, I would say, of the title track. Uh, you get so many triumphant guitar hooks just all over this song. And um, we talk about, I know that this is a very pro-Springsteen podcast, which slots in with my beliefs on Springsteen as well. You can't help but notice the guitar parts are very like born-to-run-esque. And uh, he's got Roy Bitten playing on six of seven songs on the album and Mighty Max Weinberg on the drums on uh, tracks one, two, and six. So this is one of those ones where Mighty Max is on the drums. And, and, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I, am, I, I, I have some notes here, some lyrical notes and stuff, but this song is just like, and again, I, like Bad Hell 2 is my favorite Meatloaf album, but this song is like the perfect encapsulation of what Meatloaf is. Like if somebody was like, mm-hmm. I, I, have, I have 11 minutes uh, which is what you're going to need for most Meatloaf songs. I have 11 minutes. Give me one Meatloaf song to listen to. I've never heard anything he's done before. This is, this is the one that I would, that I would slot up. This there. is literally his first impression. It's the first song off his first major album. Because he did Stoney and the Loaf and stuff like that. We're not going to count that. And a bunch of theater and all that kind of stuff. But like mm-hmm. this, Meatloaf as we know him and as we think of him, this was his first impression. So I think you're absolutely right. This is where you start someone off. This song just fucks so hard right out of the gate when it just hits that guitar riff and then the piano i mean it is so prime it is so pure it is rock and roll exactly how i want it but would have never thought of doing it this way you know i think that is the beauty of jim steinman especially because meatloaf on his own proved to not be quite as strong (laughs) as he was when when he and Jim Steinman were working together, and vice versa, Jim Steinman was not as strong without Meatloaf either. That was a total like symbiotic relationship. Um, this song, the way that it just tells the story, but it's this in the, just the big way that only Meatloaf can do it. I mean, he's talking about like being a literal bat out of hell. I'll be gone when the morning comes. It's just all of these like like kind of pictures that he draws for you with the with the lyrics that Jim Steinman wrote about just like the gates of heaven like a sinner before the gates of heaven i'll come crawling on back to you i mean just like these big grandiose statements but they work so well because the music matches every bit of the intensity that meatloaf is providing and he was famous for being one of the most intense performance performers that there was oh every picture of him that you look at especially from like the 70s the late 70s and the early 80s He's just pouring in sweat. He was he was fat as fuck for most of his life. No shade, but just like a man that big. That's how he got the name Meatloaf. He was a big ass chunk of meat. And 
a guy that size who, in a tweet that I saw that was brilliant, it was like, Meatloaf was basically a theater kid who threw on a leather jacket and started singing about sex and motorcycles. And we all just said, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but the man, <laughs> he was such a charismatic stage performer. His, he had energy coming out of the underworld. He drew his strength from the dark dimension. And you want to talk about Springsteen. Jim Steinman admits that Springsteen was not necessarily an influence on this album, but uh, an inspiration for him in terms of consuming that music, liking it, because they are addressing a lot of the same things. The difference being, mm -hmm. Bruce Springsteen is like, I'm going to show up at your house on a bike and ask for your daddy so I can see if I can take you to the dance tonight. Now picture Meatloaf doing that, except he's soaked in blood and his ass is on fire, <laughs> and there appear to be demons <laughs> from hell trying to drag him back under the ground. But he <laughs> loves her that much that he escaped literal hell. I mean, this song, Bad Out of Hell, is a yeah. crash song. Like, he crashes. It's about the guy who hits the blind curve and crashes his bike. Tragic James Dean story. If James Dean was, like, you know, binging on ham and came back with all the fire and the fury of hell leashed in at his heels to claim the love of his life. That's the level of intensity we're talking about with every single fucking song on this album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's just like you get shot out of a cannon like a bat out of hell mm -hmm. right into the rest of this album. And the next song we're going to talk about is uh, is one, a little, little reprise here from earlier in the episode. You folks may remember, you may still be sweating from, you know, just the, the pure animal magnetism that we were displaying during that, that whole process. But you took the words right out of my mouth in parentheses, Hot Summer Night. Again, they left out Lorene. It's implied. <laughs> yeah, those who know. If you know, you know. So this one kind of, this one almost reminded me of like, like Warren Zevon and how, like kind of how he just picks these kind of like fantastical sorts of things to write about and then Meatloaf delivers them just as hard as like when Warren Zevon does Werewolves in London, for example. It's like you really get the picture of this as an actual werewolf in a suit walking around London, you know, and I think that's exactly the the strength of this one is because, you know, it starts with, will you offer your, your throat to the wolf with the red roses? And it's like, okay, it's, is it really a wolf? But you kind of imagine it that way. It's this very slick, you know, it's, it's the classic that you see a movie from the fifties or the sixties. Like the evil guy was always dressed in like a real sharp suit, super slicked back hairs. Like they just, dripped of this like kind of you don't really want to get into bed with them you know and i think that's the whole thing with this song and meatloaf just plays that part just fits into this song so well that that's what makes it so believable in every single song is he's that theater background allows him to just play these characters and it is done so perfectly because he i don't know he finds a way to put himself into it and that's how you get to know him like you're mentioning earlier like, we really did know these people. It's because of the work they put in. You know, it's same as any other actor that you see perform over their whole career. You get to know them a little bit, you know, kind of as a person. And I think that this song, even though it is ridiculous, you know, the, the premise of it, that it's a wolf, you know, that it's like this little red riding hood that he's chasing after, you know, it's it's none of it feels forced or fake or like it doesn't belong in the story. And I think it's just so good the way they do it. I want to toss this to you, my man. You've been awfully quiet over there. 
silent but yeah. deadly. Yeah, I've been farting a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna totally out you. I was no. gonna let that no. be our little secret. I'll own it. <laughs> <laughs> As you were. Uh, <laughs> um, the note that I have about this song is that the guitar hook in it, like the guitar riff, is more classic Meatloaf slash Jim Steinman, very in line with what you hear on Bad Out of Hell. The drum part makes you want to dance, especially like in the chorus that, you know, boom, 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 clap, boom, 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 clap, like that. It's very infectious. And the lyrics that stick out with me are, Oh, will you hold me so close and my knees grow weak? but my soul is flying high above the ground. I'm trying to speak, but no matter what I do, I just can't seem to make any sound. And like that for me is is very much like me at like a seventh grade dance and like trying to like go ask the girl that I like to like dance and like you're like so nervous and everything and like I just immediately able to relate that. This is a totally fantastical song. As Jeff said, like you visualize him almost as, as a wolf, do you know what I mean? Like due to that that intro, but this it's just a very personal uh, lyric, and relatively short in terms of Steinman Productions, five minutes and four seconds long. Yeah. And I love the way that that exact part you're talking about, the way that it's delivered by mm-hmm. Meatloaf, the only as only Meatloaf could do it. It's tender and vulnerable, but completely confident. Like this was a guy, and and whether he did actually get ass or not. He was a charismatic fat guy who sure knew how to act like he did. So when you're like, I was a fat kid and a fat teenager and I was just like, oh, I'll never get girls to like me. And then you listen to Meatloaf and it's like, oh, I mean, maybe if I do this, she will. But it's that same sensation where it's like you're you're so spellbound by someone. And he's not when I say he's vulnerable, he's not like projecting fat kid energy. He's hiding it very, very well, but letting it be known like, oh, shit, I'm nervous. Like, I want you. I'm confident in my abilities, but my attraction to you is so strong that I literally can't make any sound when I'm around you. And Mm -hmm. quite frankly, he's already gotten her because you took the words out of my mouth. It must have been while you were kissing me. Mm -hmm. So it's like the amount of confidence in this material, like casting Meatloaf as the tragic young lover, like a James Dean type. Be like having Timothy Chalamet play the dearly departed Louis Anderson, you know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. like, it's totally unexpected, but it, he owns that dynamic and it comes across in his performance. And again, quintessential meatloaf. There's just, it's like Dr. Pepper, 23 different mystery flavors. We don't know what they are. They all come together to give us this sound and this experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this, I think this song, like, two out of three ain't bad. You know, those are the ones that, that criticism of them sounding too much like Springsteen or trying to, like, ape that sound, these are the ones that kind of really differentiated it from that because, like, Springsteen wasn't doing anything that sounded like that. Much more, like, Motown influenced. Mm -hmm. So they, they were, it showed that they were influenced by the same people that Springsteen was influenced by. They weren't necessarily, you know, he was like an inspiration more than an influence. I think Jim Steinman had said like you said um and i think this song is like just sets it so far apart from that that the comparison doesn't even make any sense to me like on a few songs maybe but this one is just so good and so different that kind of drops that for me can i make one quick springsteen further springsteen illusion Mm -hmm. um little steven van zandt hooked on panics when he heard this song 
he went around recommending it to everyone because he said it is literally the best opening the the once the instrumentals kick in it is the best opening 10 seconds of a rock and roll song he had ever heard this is a guy who worked with bruce springsteen so mm-hmm. I, that's a testament to how explosive this music is and again it's got that springsteen relatability it's distinct enough in its sound and there are just enough nuggets where you're like oh okay you can kind of see them winking and nodding across the way from texas to new jersey and i think that's mm-hmm. fucking cool because they sound completely different but you get that wink and a nod and obviously we have huge boners for meatloaf and bruce springsteen so maybe that's only significant to us but whatever it's our show mm-hmm. and also the saxophone on this part of mm-hmm. that best 10 seconds in music hits in like rock and roll by edgar winter was Hot the saxophone damn. player on this one yeah, sure. I mean, is. Edgar Winter, guitar Todd Rundgren, drums Max Weinberg, piano Roy Bitten. I mean, stacked, absolutely stacked in the studio. And I was going to mention this on the next song, but I'll mention it now. Uh, Todd Rundgren also arranged all of the background vocals on this and Bat Two. He had limited, you know, limited stuff on Bat Three, but but you can real like the the harmonization and the way that the that the voices propel meatloaf's voice and compliment it um you know the part at the very end you know, i was just about to say i love you and they all come in with that love you there's like a seven part harmony that hits like just for those two words uh and it, yeah, again it's just and maybe that's another great thing about meatloaf songs is that like it's not so much call and response but it's that meatloaf will sing a line or will sing a couple of words and then like 40 voices seemingly will just come over the top of you as you're listening to it and like mm-hmm. reinforce it. And, uh, and again, a lot of that, a lot of stuff like that happens on Bad Out of Hell too. Um, which again, continuation of the Rundgren vocal arrangement. But, um, but yeah, I mean the, the personnel on this first album, like we love the album enough as it is. And then you find out who's playing on it and you're like, Holy, Holy shit. <laughs> Rundgren was instrumental in getting this shit made. He yeah. thought that they had a record deal. They could not give this album away. Did anyone else read the quotation from Clive Davis? Because I would like to read it over the air. Go for it. They met that with Clive funny. Davis and... Oh, you got it up here? Is it this? Is it, it this? Yeah. He sat them down. He, he, it was specifically Steinman. He said, do you know how to write a song? Do you know anything about writing if you're gonna write for records it goes like this a b c b c c i don't know what you're doing you're doing a d f g b d c you don't know how to write a song have you ever listened to pop music have you ever heard any rock and roll music (laughs) you should go downstairs when you leave here and buy some rock and roll records to which meatloaf said fuck you clive hell yeah and Todd Rundgren was kind of the one that took the ball and ran with it because he thought they had a record deal. And he's like, yeah, fuck yeah. I'll bring in some of the guys from Utopia and like, what's the time of our lives doing this? And and those Todd Rundgren is great at those kind of vocal arrangements. And it continues that mm-hmm. duology that you see or that duality that you see throughout the three bats, which is this war between heaven and hell, a mortal man trying his best to be good, but ruled by impulse and living in an unfair, cruel world. And to me, the the instrumentations, especially like the squealing guitars and the horns and stuff like that, 
especially on the like really haunting over the top songs those are the demons and then you've got these vocal parts that like you said kind of come in over the top out of nowhere in, in in like multitudes and like those are the angels and it's that's never explicitly pointed out but that's what i get out of it because of the the imagery that they give you lyrically and musically it's like it's the perfect marriage it takes your it takes your fucking breath away like in the song um let's move on to paradise by the dashboard light now this one was chosen by alex yeah and of course i picked this one because i always pick all the fuck songs right so paradise well, by the you know i gotta stay on brand <laughs> it's a new year i'm not gonna not mention frank zappa and i'm not gonna not pick sex songs bing me bing <laughs> mark your cards um no but in all seriousness it's pretty brief for me i think the two biggest things it's got going for it are it is a three-part story arc where you've got this beginning of like ooh, it's two kids necking in a car right in a classic car Oh, and the and Meatloaf's like, God, I hope I score with her tonight, and she's putting up resistance. We've then got this middle section with Phil Rizzuto, who's calling it like a baseball game, using all the the base metaphors that you use when you're shy and coquettish. Did you get to first base? Oh, I got to second. <laughs> I know what you're doing. Um, so we've got Rizzuto <laughs> just calling that in the middle. Great stuff like he's in the dirt. I like to imagine I know what that's a reference to. Uh, head first slide <laughs> in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Holy cow. I think he's, he's going to make, make it. it. Uh, I well, said. Sorry, yeah. sorry to cut you off. There's like the part where he's like out. He's out. Oh, no. Wait, he's safe. Say like it's so, like you can like <laughs> yeah. like visualize that. Like he goes for like a grab and like she swats him away. He's out. And then yeah. he goes back and oh, hey, wait, he's oh. safe. He's safe at second base. <laughs> it's 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 so over the top it's great and then it just can't stop right there i gotta know right now and we get this like really dynamic back and forth between meatloaf and it, mm -hmm. it's ellen foley right can you confirm yes the woman singing his is. girlfriend yep. at one point i think maybe at the time yeah um but now we've got this great back and forth and she's like hey I want to promise, okay? I want to know that you're going to marry me. you got to buy the cow. You're not just getting the milk for free. And he's like, can we put this off? I'll tell you. I'll give you an answer in the morning. She's like, no. you got to tell me right now or the deal's off. And he's so horny and he's so desperate. He says, fine. But then you realize you've made that vow and now you are praying for the end of time so you can end your time together. And that brings up to me, it's not just the classic story, but the second thing that I love about it is it's funny as fuck. Meatloaf is very funny. Jim Steinman is very funny and not like poopy caca fart fart like my man Frank Zappa, but just this like really smart tongue in cheek kind of way that's also like totally raunchy. So that for me is the greatest strength of Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Mm -hmm. And Tanner and I had the pleasure of seeing this one oh live yeah and this <laughs> this was probably the most memorable part of the concert for me was meatloaf sat down on a speaker like we were front we were front center he was what stage left is like if you're facing the stage on the left right you're like facing my the left crowd. Hand side if i'm looking if you're on stage looking at okay stage so he left was stage right left. okay okay so he was stage right He's sitting down, telling the story, picked up this girl at prom and blah, blah, blah. And then he comes down right in front of a four-year-old, maybe a five-year-old, a little kid. I mean, directly in front of him. He gets down to the end 
<laughs> he stares right at this kid when the when the girl was like, "Oh, why don't we just go to the lake?" And he goes, "What the fuck would you have done?" <laughs> Now, keep, keep, keep in mind that Meatloaf and his whole band, they do a wardrobe change before they do this song, and he's wearing a wig of the super long hair oh that he God. had back from mm-hmm. when this album came out, and like the black, like the suit jacket from the back of the album. And they're all dressed in like flower powery stuff. I don't think they quite got what the 70s were. Uh, all the studio musicians that he was <laughs> playing with at the time. But uh, yeah, and like he just gets right down in this kid's face, like leans over the stage. What the fuck would you have done? Place goes <laughs> fucking ballistic. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Huge pop. And yeah. the girl that he had singing that song. Aspen Miller. My goodness. Wow, someone was handy with that. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. He knew I was going to, because how many years has it been? 2007, we saw that concert. Yeah, God, we're old. And it's been that many years, and every time we talk about it, I'm like, oh, that girl. <laughs> but I never remember her <laughs> name. That's why I, Tanner took that part of my memory for me. Yeah. W- w- me and Jeff, we become whole on Aspen Miller. You took the name right out of <laughs> my brain. Uh, I, I, what I want to <laughs> say is that um, this song, like, it, it, I don't want to say it's like a shuffle. It's like a boogie. It like boogies along. Yeah, yeah. Like the the guitar <laughs> starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's Meatloaf's second most popular song on Spotify, hmm. at 102 million streams. Um, number one is going to come later. It's one of our picks off a later album. Uh, and I have, uh, you know, the line because we were barely 17 and we were barely dressed. You've got glowing like the metal on the edge of a knife. And you've got the very outro of the song. It was long ago, and it was far away, and it was so much better than it is today. And that's mm-hmm. Meatloaf, you know, hearkening back to a, you know, a simpler time. Which is funny to me, because later on Battle of Hell 3, a song we're probably not going to touch on, he has a song called The Future Ain't What It Used To Be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at, on this album, he's hearkening back, and then... I'm bad at Hell 3. He's looking to the future and stuff. But uh, I also have the Phil Rizzuto, obviously, legendary bit. And the band, when Phil Rizzuto's doing the play-by-play, the band is ripping. Oh, that bass. Kasim Sultan slapping that bass. And Kasim Sultan was still in the Neverland Express when uh, when Jeff and I saw them in 2007. Oh, shit. Yeah, he was playing bass and singing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah, it just absolutely rips. It hums along. You can't listen to this song and be like, oh, this song sucks. Like, you, this is a physically, you, you physically, if anybody says that, throw them out. That is a real quick thing I want to add here. I looked at some uh, contemporary reviews at the time that mm-hmm. called Jim Steinman's music derivative and said <laughs> that this was, like, boring and too poppy. I'm like, what the fuck were you smoking? This is derivative? Yeah, this, is, this is nothing like anything else back then. Fuck off. Yeah, that's a terrible, terrible take. Well, I think. Does anyone else have anything to say about Bat One? Um, it's no. The, the one thing I would like to say is that it's only seven songs, but they're all so long and grandiose <laughs> yeah, yeah. that it feels like it's you know, it's like an hour <laughs> and a half of your time. And I would also like to say that Meatloaf is the ultimate road trip music. You said it about driving to New Jersey and stuff. You can listen to a Meatloaf album on a drive. And you'll blink, and the album will be over, and you'll have gone. You've been driving for two hours. So mm-hmm. another great. Um, we're going up to Maine when we listen to Bat One, Two, and Three oh, we all went in hard a row. Paint, yeah, and like it's like a six-hour drive, 
That thing flew by. And that's it. Thanks, Papa Meat. It, well, you probably put the pedal to the metal through most of that, too. The Kia Soul was <laughs> the Kia Soul was flying. Also, I'm going to hit the highway like a battering ram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, ha- hamsters be damned. Silver black Kia Soul. <laughs> well, I'm going to not show my hand here and throw it to the person that chose from Bad Out of Hell to Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through. This song, uh, this is a very, very important song to me. Um, like play it, like play it at my funeral kind of song. Like this is that important to me. Um, favorite Noted. meatloaf, f- yeah, favorite meatloaf song. Like head and shoulders above the rest, and I love them all. But like this is just, this is the one that got me from the first listen until my eight thousand whatever listen earlier today before we started recording. Um, the, I want to go back in time to when. Uh, Jeff picked me up in his car, and I was like, I don't know, 17 or 18. And Jeff used to have this huge book of CDs. Uh, it was on, like, the floor of the passenger side. And, like, you know, it would be whatever. We'd listen to whatever. He'd say, hey, you know, reach in, pull out this, pull out that. Uh, it was your job as, like, the co-pilot. And you were, like, reach in there and get grab Bad Out of Hell too. And I pulled the CD out, and I remember what the CD looks like very vividly. It's just, like, all silver and then it says, you know, meatloaf, but it's in like this red font and the M is like thick, like bold. And I was like, meatloaf, really? And then we put it in, you know, we listened to the first two songs, which we'll talk about later. And then like this, this song started and it was just like, again, just like a, a dagger, like right to my soul. Um, I have, yeah, first time hearing it in Jeff's car, monumental music moment. Um, one of my favorite love songs ever. The vocal harmonies at the beginning, like a chorus of angels. We talk about the heaven and hell thing, the angelic uh, background music. Uh, It's only five minutes and 51 seconds long. One of the shorter songs on Bat 2. And then I I just have some some key lyrics that I have. Uh, I mean, think of how we'd lay down together. You'd be listening to the radio so loud and so strong. Every golden nugget coming like a gift of the gods. Someone must have blessed us when he gave us those songs. And like that it's very meta to me because this song is one of those songs for me. And it's like describing a, mm-hmm. a, a you know a song. Um I treasure your love. I never I never want to lose it. You've been through the fires of hell, and I know you got the ashes to prove it. Prove it. Yeah. And again, the the, <laughs> the, the two word the two word choral response. The harmonies on this are fucking amazing. Um oh yeah. When it kicks in, uh, keep on believing, bomb, bomb, and you'll discover, baby. Oh, baby. <laughs> yeah, that, I remember, like, in Jeff's car, just constantly listening to this song, and, like, we would just fucking ramp right up and hit that. Um, when when Alex and I were in high school, we co-edited the yearbook. He did more work than I did, uh, but we co-edited it. Um, and we got a page in the back of the book, and I picked a bunch of different song lyrics. There's Springsteen on mine. There's Zeppelin on mine. There's two Meatloaf songs on mine, and this is one of them. Once upon a time was a backbeat. Once upon a time, all the chords came to life, and the angels had guitars even before they had wings. If you hold on to a chorus, you can get through the night, and then they come in, get you through the get night. You through the night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the last thing that I have is remember everything that I told you. And I'm telling you again that it's true. You're never alone. 
because you can put on the phones and let the drummer tell your heart what to do. Yeah. That line in particular. Yep. Yeah. Oh, this song, I I wouldn't have picked it because there's just so many bangers on this album, and that's that like that's what I love about Meatloaf. I'm there for the bangers, and I know Tanner, you've always been more partial to the sent- I'm the sentimental, you know, the more, yeah, the ballads, you know, <laughs> yeah. and not that I don't like those. Just for me, I'm about the bangers, but that's why this was so so key to get you on is because there needs to be some representation for the for the ballad side of things here um this this song along with every other one on bad out of hell too which is my favorite meatloaf album if i haven't made that clear um that like you said the imagery uh, i mean i remember the first time i heard this one i was like oh man this is so cool rock and roll dreams come true and i was like that is so awesome what a cool thing to say and i'm like nine years old whatever it is <laughs> but it just like that's that's like the lines like that sex and drums and rock and roll it just made you feel like badass that you knew stuff like that you know what i mean like you go to your friend's house they were listening to like raffi and and stuff like that and but you were listening to meatloaf you were listening to rock and fucking roll man and this album represented so much of that for me and so much of my growth that that's why i like probably that's why i shared it with you tanner i was like probably because i knew i was like i like this guy let's see what he thinks about this because it was that important to me and you know this this rock and roll dream of our friendship has really come through, buddy. And here we are. Once upon a time was a backbeat. <laughs> Once upon a time, all the poets never left. Um, this is an album about growth, really. I mean, we talked about the stretch between '77 and '90 when this came out, and it's again the same themes. If you want to look at it, the same kind of characters, and they've taken such a leap forward in life that there's a lot of disappointment and disillusionment in this you look at a song like we might as well uh, or at some point we'll talk about life as a lemon and that the whole premise of that is like i didn't get what i thought i was gonna get and become who i thought i was gonna be by now and everything is suck lately mm-hmm. and this song is is finding a silver lining in that whole thing it's like rock and roll dreams can come true you just have mm-hmm. to like believe in the music believe in what we're doing here and it'll get you through just one more day, and sometimes that's enough of a dream. I don't have much more to say. I really can't acquit this more passionately than I think Tanner did. Um, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, sneaky sleeper pick on your part, Ballad Man. Yeah. And, Tanner, i got to be honest with you. I don't know if Alex mentioned anything to you, but uh, we were playing a little game amongst ourselves, trying, <laughs> trying to we were predict trying to figure out what, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, we I, both called this uh, one. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, think, I, uh, my the second one was going to be objects in the rearview mirror. I think yes. going to be the secondary. Yes, I think you're right. the The deal with objects in the rearview mirror is, uh, rock and roll dreams come through. I wear it like in my heart. Objects in the rearview mirror. It, it it's like it's it's its own musical and it's this very broad thing, but it does contain as Jeff equated in his car the day that I first heard this album, the best moment in music history, and it starts at the <laughs> 2.30 mark of Objects in the Rearview Mirror, maybe you're closer than they are, and if you're going to go and listen to Meatloaf after you listen to this podcast, if you're not familiar with it, listen to that song. When that build and that swell happens and you don't feel something, 
check your wrist, my friend, because you have no fucking pulse. Because that just rips. And that's all I got to say about that song. <laughs> yeah. Fucking incredible a. moment. Truly. <laughs> yeah. Truly an incredible moment in music. Um, well, do we want to save? So we got some options here. So we could, do you want to go through the ones that we picked first and then the additional ones? Because I just uh, threw them up here in like a random order. Uh, let's just go in whatever order you got. I'm going to be very okay. cognizant of not blathering. So, Okay. So the next one, the big one, I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. Now, there ah, were two versions it's... of this song. There was the radio edit, which most people are familiar with, which doesn't answer the question of what he won't do. And then there is the version that I'm sure we'd rather talk about, the album version, where it's got the extended motorcycle intro, which the guy at the concert did on the guitar somehow, like perfectly. I mean, it was exactly like it sounded on the album. That's yeah, how it was, it was just done, like, yeah. so cool. Paul so Crooks cool. was the guitar player when we saw him that did that, yeah. Um, and I just want to jump in real quick. This is the top played meatloaf song on Spotify. Knew it. 130.5 million streams on the shorter edition that Jeff just talked about. And then on the long version, which the, the loaf fans prefer, uh, 22.7 million on, on the album version. Not too shaggy. Not too shabby. I mean, you want to talk about your power ballad, most memorable songs off the album, whether or not it's your favorite, it definitely it takes the cake because it had that music video where it was like Beauty and the Beast and Phantom of the Opera. Um, and again, it's one of those songs that stands on its own. I mean, the vocal performance on this in that lead up to the chorus, as long as the fires are burning, you better believe it. When he just unhinges that and now we're due. I mean, you all know the fucking song. Just he's swinging for the fences, batting a thousand vocally on this. It's emotionally, lyrically, vocally perfect. And then what sends it over the top for me, and the reason I was like, boys, I think we got to talk about this one, because none of us picked this mm -hmm. originally. And I was like, ah, I got to swap this out for a pick because the legend of what it is he won't do for love is a huge misnomer. And mm -hmm. the story goes, Jim Steinman wrote the song, and Meatloaf was like, yeah, this is awesome. And Steinman got this voice in the back of his head where he's like, I think people might not understand the multiple things he won't do. There's We talk about what he'll do for love. I don't know if it's going to be clear to people the things he won't do to this girl. And he was right, because there are a lot of people who will die on the hill that, like, what he won't do remains a mystery, and that mm. is what makes the song so good. And that's fine. That's a fun interpretation, but he literally does spell it out for us, the things that he won't do. And I will read them right here. <laughs> do you think I can get a light from you again? Well, I was going to say, you can just read them right off my lit ah, thing, because I well, have them too. Great minds. Here we go. <laughs> Production value. <laughs> Fucking A. Firing on all cylinders. Here are the things... <laughs> And it's it's tricky because of the way that it's worded. He says a bunch of stuff that he'll do, and then she says something, and he's like, no, I won't do that. So in order, the things he would never do. He won't lie to her. He won't forget the way he feels right now. He won't forgive himself if they don't go all the way tonight. He's never going to do it better than he does it with her. He's never going to stop dreaming of her every night of his life. He's never going to see that it's time to move on, and he's never gonna screw around thank you for the use of your mm -hmm. ipad you're welcome 
So it's right there, but it is it's it's worded. I wouldn't say clunkily, but somewhat ambiguously if you're not like paying attention to the words. And it's a very long song, so I think attention spans may have slightly waned in terms of trying to parse the lyrics, especially when the music is as big as it's ever fucking been from Jim Steinman and Meatloaf, and you're just washed over. Yeah, I think he does. I think to to your credit, you're trying to back off of people a little bit that don't get what he's talking about, but he says it very explicitly. All those there's all those implied ones that you mentioned, like the whole list of the and basically the entire lyrics in every single verse. There's something he won't do, but at the very end. She says, it'll all turn to dust and we'll all fall down. Sooner or later, you'll be screwing around. And he goes, I won't do that. Yeah. No, I won't do that. You know, so he has a very specific thing that he answers. So if that's all you needed was one answer, that was it. Right at the end of the song. If you listen to it, you'd get it. I have, uh, I, I had a lot of stuff here. <laughs> uh, I said, this could be the ultimate meat love song, complete with the motorcycle sounds on the intro mesmerizing piano on this song uh some nights you're like nothing i've ever seen before or will again like these are just these little phrases that get dropped into an 11 minute song some days i pray for silence some days i pray for soul some days i just pray to the god of sex and drums and rock and roll and they all just scream it yeah and we all do it man come on we're all praying to that um the seven-minute mark, again, as this is a long song, <laughs> uh, that chorus at the seven-minute mark is like the real triumphant one when they're coming through. And, you know, they're hitting all the flourishes. The drummer's going off. The backup singers are going crazy. It takes nine minutes for us to hear the female voice of the song, and that's fine. And she gets to sing this awesome line, Will you colorize my life? I'm so sick of black and white. And to jump in real oh, quick, baby. will you hose me down with holy water if I get too hot? Hot. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, I have dead that, red, baby. Yeah. I have that very specifically written favorite sing-along part of this song is the hot after holy water. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, like something happened in the pop culture sensibility because this song was on that VH1 show the what the worst songs ever like the most awesomely bad songs ever something yeah. like that cool i want to hear what andy dick has to say about meatloaf songs that's really whose opinion yeah. i give a fuck about Boo. uh so like even these idiots were like oh it's too much it's like everyone takes stuff a little too seriously and if you can just allow yourself to shed whatever weird cynicism you have you can't listen to this song and not just like totally rock out. This song totally rocks. And it, and it's similar to like you said like the the multiple part story of Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Because again, this song has segments because again, we don't hear the female voice until very late in the song. And then it ends, you know, very we hit this big crescendo at like the 7 minute mark, the 9 minute mark. Hot, hot. And then we start to come back down the mountain and it ends, you know, very sweetly in the way that the piano ends at the very at the very end. Just like I I really there are songs that I listen to and I'm like, God, I would have liked to like be in the studio, be a fly on the wall, like when they nailed it. Like when they got that take. It's the part in Objects in the Review Mirror, like when that came together, like st- like these little moments. 
that's really what Meatloaf's all about for me. Is like you, you know, I can listen to an eleven-minute song and tell you about thirty-seven specific moments in the song that I like. Mm-hmm. That's one song. There are some bands I love that come out with albums I couldn't give you three, and Meatloaf gives yeah. you forty in one song. <laughs> it's exactly correct. He yeah. does give you forty. It's ju- it's just the attention to detail, the production value. You know, there it. There's probably plenty that have done as well, but I feel like you can't do better. You know, it's at that level where it's like every little detail, everywhere you want something. Like, will you hose me down with holy water if I get too hot? Hot. hot. Like, they just decide to like throw that little bit in there. You know, the the way that the the interplay. Will you take me places I've never known? And the way he says, now I can do that. Like, the way he sings that is so much different than the way he sings the rest of the song. It's like just, he adds the emotion into what he's singing so, so well. And while this might be like the biggest, cheesiest song there is, it's so good because of that. The full commitment to the bit is what is key with all of Meatloaf's music and especially on this song. Anyone? I'd like to say, if no one else has anything to say about this song, the final word on this for the listening audience out there, let's put this to rest. The song, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. The thing that he won't do is not going down on a girl. That's the most popular thing everyone says. (laughs) He would do anything for love, but he won't, you know. Did DJ Khaled go back in time and write this for him? (laughs) Another one. The next one is probably representative of the genesis of my musical love of meatloaf but i'm gonna let the person that chose it bring it in and it's life is a lemon and i want my money back i'll try to keep this as brief as i possibly can because i did change in my chit for um i do anything for love but i again for me the reason i picked this in the first place is because meatloaf is pissed off and being in meatloaf's way when he's pissed off being in his crosshairs that is like waving a red cape at a bull you do not want to be there my friend and that is all the energy that he brings into this song we talked about rock and roll dreams is about you know the the those dreams actually coming true and it being a relief and a release. This song is the total opposite. It is the frustration of your unrealized dreams. Everything is suck. School, the country, your friends, your family, the people you love, your fucking piece of shit car. It is all going to let you down in the end and it's going to build to a head and you are going to be screaming to the heavens in pure primal agony the way Meatloaf Mm -hmm. does in this song. A singularly Pissed off meatloaf classic. This is the one. This was the this was the gateway, right? Because we talk about Jeff picks me up. We put the CD in first song. I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. I've heard that song before. I'm familiar with that song. Track two, life is a lemon. This thing starts, and you're just like, wait, what the f- what the fuck is this? Like it absolutely rips. Mm-hmm. just like in every sense of the word and then i remember it was like maybe a week or two after i had first heard this cd and and again once i had heard it once in jeff's car for like i don't know a year and a half it's pretty much all we listened to in jeff's car uh <laughs> yep. we picked we picked up friend of the pod mitch and we went for a little drive and we put this album on and he had the same reaction as me he knew I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. 
Second song starts and he's in the back seat. <laughs> Wait, what the hell is this? I recognize this. I think <laughs> Meatloaf is my dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just he just somehow knows all the words. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Listen. It's encoded in my DNA. <laughs> but yeah, like this this song, and this is another beauty that, that Jeff and I are are blessed to have seen him perform live. Mm-hmm. Uh and he like again when, when he performed this stuff. You know, he would play the role of the character, you know, and in this song, he was fucking pissed, guys. He was oh, yeah. pissed. And, Feeling uh, it. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, uh, the bass really shines on this song for me. You know, it's a never-ending attack. And that bass part goes... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's a lie and that's a fact. And then come in coming, you know, the fact. Again, the backup vocals... Slipping through the cracks. Slipping, slipping. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the, the Maybe part. Maybe the best background vocals on Meatloaf. That slipping is just, ooh, baby. It's hot. Yeah. Ooh, baby. He does this whole bridge where they do this call and response where they, the, they his band, ask him a question, and he just says, it's defective. To the whole, they run the whole gamut. You know, love, sex. Family, friends, hope, faith, your gods, your town, your school, your work, your childhood, your future, it's defective, and you can shove it up your ass. (laughs) And he he hits that. Oh, Oh, dude. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And the the vocal harmonies that, like, interchange... Uh, again, th- this is you know this is a this is a gateway uh, uh, meatloaf song, yeah. like "Bat Out of Hell" on the first one, your lead off track, but then you get into your your hot summer night, and that's like when you really start to you know get in and, and yeah, life is a lemon and I want my money back. I, again, as we grow older and more cynical, as the world continues to get more and more fucked up seemingly by the day, no better anthem. Than, than this song amen yeah this this was the one for me this is the one that i clearly remember just screaming at the top of my lungs in the back seat of my dad's dodge caravan and just that part <laughs> what about your future it's defective and you can shove it up your ass eight nine-year-old me was stoked <laughs> stoked to have this song available to me and i would scream i would yell it and i remember my mom one time was like what is he listening to and i think my dad go- just looks at her and goes meatloaf and just like turns back to the road and keeps driving that was it <laughs> i can visualize that so so yeah, vividly <laughs> just like just like don't worry about it <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's not that lip biscuit everyone's talking about Oh, uh, that came that came a few years later. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of break don't, stuff as sort of limp don't worry. It's lemon. That was life is a lemon. <laughs> that was still on the horizon. Yeah, I, I I'd like to juxtapose Nookie alongside uh, rock and roll dreams come through <laughs> yeah. if I could. I you mean, think they have that the same message, night? really. You know, it's the same thing. <laughs> we like to think that hard well, days night is our guilty as charged. <laughs> 
<laughs> in the interest of uh, of time here, because we have a yeah. handful more to go through. Um, now, while there was Life is a Lemon and another song we're going to get to next, those were the two, uh, and we'll name the next one when we get to that one, those were the two songs with Life is a Lemon that really were my, like I said, my genesis with Meatloaf. That was where I became who I am as a Meatloaf fan was those songs. But over the years, the song that really started to stand out to me and the song that really kind of became my number one and my anthem for my life is everything louder than everything else. Now, maybe it's even cheesier than I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. It very well could be, you know, saying his idols are Curly, Larry, and Mo. you know, and things, <laughs> and things like just ridiculous, you know, forget the, who am I? Why am I here? Forget the question. Someone give me another beer. Dude, you got to learn to dance dude, before you dude, learn dude. to crawl. I mean, just some classic, classic meatloaf, meatloaf lines. It, it follows the weirdest like soliloquy that you'll ever hear in your life called wasted youth. Like, go ahead and check that out. When you go to hop on, listen to Meatloaf, and you start with Bad Out of Hell 2, which is what I recommend, go right to the middle of the album. Go right to Wasted Youth and to Everything Louder Than Everything Else. You will understand the full gamut of how just how weird Jim Steinman and Meatloaf can get together. Because this song, the all-encompassing, most beautiful line in rock and roll history, A Wasted Youth is better by far than a wise and productive old age. And he makes sure you hear it by saying it 18,000 times in this song. And each time it gets better and more true. They say I'm wild and I'm reckless. Wild, wild, wild. Again, the back of vocals, I should be acting my age. Wild, wild. This, the way that he sings this line to me, I'm an impressionable child in a tumultuous world. And they say I'm at a difficult stage. Again, talk about like, you know, a song kind of personifying where you're at in your life and where you are in life in the moment where you hear this song for the first time or where the song really connects with you for the first time. Um, But it seems to me, to the contrary of all the crap they're going to put on the page, again, (laughs) it's like saying like, hey, written history, fuck that. This is real history. This is what history is really like. And then, as Jeff said... Uh, Wasted Youth is better by far than a wise and productive old age. I mean, it's just like uh, an absolute rocker, but it's not like the same kind of rocker that Life is a Lemon is. It has a very different kind of style and, and feeling. And again, he's pissed off in this, but he's not Life is a Lemon pissed off. He's kind of like thumbing his nose at everyone. And like Jeff said, like the, the Three Stooges line, I remember being in in the car and like Jeff leans over for that line and you went like Curly Larry Moe and you counted on your fingers like looking right at me and I was like you sitting dead right on that one and then you were like that's that's him saying like fuck you like fuck your views of history like it doesn't matter it's all relative like fuck your fuck what you think I should do like this is me and yeah like this is a very much like a middle finger to everyone that doesn't get I would say this song is a middle finger to everyone that doesn't get meatloaf. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty good. I can see that mm-hmm. for sure. And all I'll say about this one in the interest of time is 
I love it for all the reasons you guys demonstrate. I would say it's it's not one of my top meatloaf songs, but as we like to say about a lot of the artists that we love, I can't even say it's the worst, but like a mid-tier meatloaf song to me is something that other artists, <laughs> Foo Fighters, could only ever <laughs> dream of touching <laughs> in an alternate universe if they were completely different people. So it's, I mean, <laughs> pound for pound, this is one of the fucking biggest rock songs. With a lot of balls hanging between those legs. Big balls. Big ball big songs. Balls. Big balls. Big meaty balls. Well, now the last one we're going to talk about from the Bad Out of Hell 2 album is a little one called Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. Now, this was the second of the songs that really just kicked off my love for me. Love. I'd go between Life is a Lemon and Out of the Frying Pan pretty often, just between those two songs for a long time. And it, again, didn't get picked by any of us right off the bat, but it was one that we felt needed a little recognition and the one that fought for it was tanner yeah i really i really 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 struggled uh because like rock and roll dreams come through is a desert island song for me um but out of the frying pan might be the song that on this album for me is like the the best song like the singular best song the lyrics are awesome it totally like rips and grooves like, some of these lyrics, man, come on. It's never been this hot, and I've never been so bored, and breathing is just no fun anymore. And then I saw you like a summer dream, and you're the answer to every prayer that I ever said. And then, the, again, the glorious backing harmonies repeat that line back to you. Uh, you can just, like, again, visualize this. Everyone can relate to this to to seeing someone like so beautiful you don't even know who they are you might be like shoveling poop on a farm and like some girl like walks by or whatever like it's like literally any scenario possible where you're like down it's super hot and then so like a summer dream and the pre-chorus the way that it kicks into it and you get this visual thing Wander down the ancient hallway, taking the stairs only one at a time. Follow the sound of my heartbeat. Now I'm in the room at the top. You're at the end of the line. Open the door, lay down on the bed. The sun is just a ball of desire. Into the triumphant chorus where everyone is just screaming fire seemingly at different times. Piano parts going off. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, and again, this is another one that like I recall very vividly. Like We got to that pre-chorus part in Jeff's car for the first time and he just crank the volume knob all the way up and the build to it every time gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the song goes through um and also there's a part i've written here at, at 404 it's about to kick back into the verse they're going to repeat the same verse as the first time and meatloaf just goes ah <laughs> <laughs> and like it's not out of place and like the fans we sit dead right on it and we know it's coming mm -hmm. and, and we do it uh yeah this th again it was a very difficult to tr to kind of like leave this off my my list, but oh, fuck guys, this is just like a really really perfect song. I will mm -hmm. say my brief uh, personal inroads on this one as a vocalist. This is a masterclass in dynamics and vocal range. This was a song that was designed for Meatloaf to strut the full range of his stuff. He can be quiet. He can be tender. They'll wander down the ancient hallway. That's very 
mysterious and you kind of see that you know hazy floating just like magically drawn open the door lay down in the bed it's all very fantastic and mystical but he's not afraid to do the ah and like to scream and crank it up on this song he's hitting mm -hmm. notes that no human being that's not an opera singer should be able to hit this is a showcase for his voice and and one of my personal favorites too so i'm glad we got a little shine in on it you were only killing time and it will kill you right back come on mm -hmm. come on i it's mean time to burn up the fuse we got nothing to do and even I less mean, to lose it's just so good so good all the way around every bit of it so goddamn good now we have one more album one more album to go and it's Battle to Hell 3, The Monster is Loose. Now this one, I feel like we need to give the, the kind of precursor that it's not the same as the other albums. There are some Jim Steinman songs on here, but this was put together definitely as like a way to capitalize on the other Battle to Hell t albums, the other two of them, to make it be like, okay, well, what, what significant record can Meatloaf release these days? And Battle to Hell 3 came up here and i think you know desmond child is somebody that's all over this album you know as a producer you know just like many things on here there like i said there are some jim steinman songs on here um it's i think there are some songs that are as strong as anything else meatloaf ever did but to me this album is not quite at the level of the other two i, I could i agree and i could see this album being a more brief conversation as more the end of the bad out of hell legacy it's putting a punctuation again we talk about moving through different decades and the story continuing it's kind of putting a punctuation mark at the end of this decades-long journey and i think does so successfully and i think the weird thing is jeff you're the only one that picked a steinman tune and it had already been done by mm -hmm. uh, bonnie Raitt. or yeah no bonnie tyler bonnie nope. tyler not bonnie Raitt. Let's give them something uh, to talk about. No, it was uh, it was Celine Dion. Was it? Mm -hmm. Holy f! We've we got our bodies mixed up with this. Oh Celine. my god! More <laughs> controversy. I don't know. Some I white mean, maybe, lady. Maybe 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 Bonnie Raitt or whoever else you guys met. Maybe they did it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't 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 patronize them. All three of them. But whatever. The famous the famous one. Well, I mean, at this point, Jim Steinman was slinging himself all over. Music City, if you know what I mean, yeah. you know, it could have could have been anybody. Everybody wanted a little bit of that meatloaf shine, but the version of that song that I'm gonna be comparing it to is the Celine Dion version. But there's a very specific reason I picked that one, but that's not let's the first one. Do you want to just jump in? Do we want to just do that? Yeah, let's just do that. Yeah. So it's all coming back to me now. Now this song, you probably know it by Celine Dion, but how you should know it is by meatloaf and let me tell you why because this song was written to be a duet and when done correctly as a duet it is one of the greatest duets that has ever existed even amongst the myriad of incredible duets that jim steinman penned on other meatloaf albums now meatloaf does this one with a singer named marion raven who i'm pretty sure ever did anything else other than this um but it's 
I feel like you can listen to the Celine Dion version and it's good. And fiance the pod Marlowe is going to hate me for saying this, but this is the reason I have a podcast is that I can say these things and it's forever etched in the history of the internet. And she's just some guy, you know, that's the difference here. That's why I love doing this, but it's so much better with the meatloaf version because it was written as a duet. It's written as a, as a kind of call and response thing between, you know, two jilted lovers, you know, and I think it's, it's beautifully done by meatloaf and it's definitely stretching the capabilities that his voice had at this point in his life. Cause he was, I mean, this was 2006 that this album came out. So, I mean, this was 30 years after battle to hell one, you know, a decade and a half after Bad Out of Hell 2. So it's like there was a long time between all these albums, so he aged quite a bit. And the thing we see with singers and vocalists, especially that of his power, is they stay good singers, but they definitely don't have the punch and the range that they used to, you know? Um, but this song, I feel like it was all coming back to him. You know, it was just like every <laughs> bit of the power that there. Meatloaf... He's not as good as he once was, but he's as good once... <laughs> As he ever was, and he certainly was on this song. Fuck me. You bastard. How dare you invoke (laughs) Toby Keith while we're talking about meatloaf? (laughs) I'm done. I'm out. Tanner, you take over. (laughs) Uh, 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 um, Yeah. uh, There were nights of endless pleasure. It was more than any laws allow. (laughs) <laughs> like that's that's pretty wild. I mean, it's gonna be pretty wild stuff. Um, the harmonies on this song, Meatloaf and Marion Raven, the way that their voices kind of intersect with each other, and they like it's like two ships passing in the night. Sometimes on some mm-hmm. of the harmony, where he'll go low, she'll go high, she'll go low, he'll go high. Uh, and when the first time I heard this this song, uh, actually was, and it's a it's a funny callback uh, talking about Fye. Because Jeff just sent us a text the other day about an FYE still existing down in the mm-hmm. greater Houston area. Um, Jeff and I went to to the Berlin Mall and to the FYE, and Jeff bought this CD, and we sat in his car <laughs> in the parking lot and, and uh, started listening to it there. And when I the first time I heard it, I didn't even know that Celine Dion had done this song. Oh wow! Yeah, but, you know, pre-smartphone. I think I had like a Kyocera slider. You weren't able to look up Wikipedia on that <laughs> thing back then, I'll tell you. You could buy a ringtone for $7 that sounded like shit, but you couldn't look up any uh, meatloaf Crazy Wikipedia. Frog. Oh, fuck the Crazy Frog. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but yeah, like again, the the harmonies on this song, this is a top-tier meatloaf love song. Um, and, and again, Marion Raven, like really, of all the female vocalists that meatloaf saying these love songs with over the years the albums that we didn't talk about over time he's done duets with Cher you know mm-hmm. but Marion Raven slots herself in at, right in that upper echelon of the vote she enhances Meatloaf's vocals on the song and he in turn uh, I- enhances hers and it's yeah it's just fantastic she was a great she was a really smart pick for this in the sense that there is such contrast between their voices that's a double-edged sword for me, though, because she sounds so young and so sweet. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to see someone with like a little more mileage on their voice. You wouldn't want to do Cher again, especially not at that point. Cher worked really well for Dead Ringer because that was a, a raucous, 
like let's go fuck in the back of my car kind of song mm-hmm. um and they were their voices together meatloaf and share whenever that album came out 1980 i think oh my god marriage made in hell it was perfect so i don't know exactly who i would put it and no shade on marion raven she's awesome mm-hmm. she does an amazing job it's just for me if we talk about nights of endless pleasure it was more than any law allows i'm like yeah, and the girl sounds <laughs> awful young on this song. Like, <laughs> can I can I pitch something? Sure. Well, first first off, uh, the one thing Patty Russo, one of his frequent collaborators, she sings a duet with him later on this album. What about love? Sleeper pick for me. But um, I always saw this song as like Meatloaf's looking back into his past, mm-hmm. almost like the great song that the idiot producers cut out of Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, so Meatloaf is more of a Michael Caine figure in this scenario. He's looking back at his past love that was lost, and it's all coming back to him now. Mm, that's remem- a good, yeah. And he's remembering her as she was, her youthful form. Maybe she died. Maybe she left him, or you know what I mean? He's this old man alone, and he's you know reaching back into his memories museum to quote to quote Yay, um, and 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 like that's that's just the way that I always I always saw it because it is a super stark contrast. <laughs> So maybe that was me rationalizing it in my brain, and maybe Meatloaf was like, "No, fuck that. We were definitely like me and this young girl could definitely hook up." And I was, "Ah, oh, damn it." But no, it's me singing about a twenty-two-year-old. What are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? Uh, no, I like that. I like that interpretation. Now, now, let's not <laughs> besmirch the good name of the loaf. Okay? We're not. We're no. not. We're not. I wish the I was that was cool. Pure of intention. The man was pure of intention. Okay. And yeah, it was a little weird. <laughs> it was a li- little weird when fa- you put it that face, way. <laughs> it was a little weird, <laughs> but that was that was my point on that one. Is it has to yeah. be, it has to be looked at as one of the great duets ever. I mean, it it is so so good, the way they both sing it in Meatloaf. Like really, you know, when Nolan Ryan was at the end of his career and he wasn't quite touching like ninety five, ninety six anymore. Once in a while, he could still reach back and get it. You know, and I know Meatloaf would appreciate a baseball reference, especially a Texas guy like Nolan Ryan. So you're welcome. You're welcome, Michael. But let's move on to another one from Battered Hell 3. And this one is, once again, not the one that uh, Alex and I thought you were going to pick, Tanner, but uh, Alive is the one that you chose. Can I ask before I get into it, did you guys think I was going to pick Alex's pick? I thought you were going to pick Monsters Loose. Oh, Ah, okay. Well, full disclosure, I juggled with a different pick, but it wasn't Monsters Loose. That song does rip ass, though. Yeah. What was the other? What was the other pick? Uh, Blind as a Bat. Sneak, yeah. sneaky, oh. good one. S- sneaky, yeah. sneaky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would not have. I would not have guessed that. One. Yeah, Milo's vocal yeah. performance on that song is really good. They, there's a lot of like orchestral hits on it, but for me, when we listened to it in Jeff's car that first time. The songs that were all happening before this song were good. They were all good and fine. And this was the one that reached out and grabbed me. Boom. Alive. The piano line is very reminiscent of I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. The chorus has this rhythm to it. The lyrics, again, and I'm not afraid to say that, like, usually the cornier the meatloaf lyrics, the more I love them. I'm a runaway train on a broken track. I'm a ticker on the bomb that you can't turn back this time. And again, going back to the high school yearbook, I quoted this song on my page too. Uh, yeah, 
at the, I got away with it all and I'm still alive. Let the end of the world come tumbling down. I'll be the last man standing on the ground. As long as hot blood runs through my veins, I'm still alive. It's like the ultimate, I'm down, but I'm not out. Uh, the bridge is awesome. You get a lot of those angelic, ah, things that happen uh, into a guitar solo, into a double chorus out of it. Uh, he does a little pause when he says, that's right, uh, late in the song. And then the ending, everyone fades out. The piano does its little thing. And then you get these big hits at the end. It's like a perfect, uh, a perfect ending. So yeah, this is one. And when Jeff and I saw him in concert, uh, he didn't play this song. They played a video on the screen during like the set break. Mm-hmm. Where it was like him and like all the TV shows and movies he had been in set to this song, so like we got to hear this song at the show, which is cool. Uh, but I still was, I was like, oh, I really wish they had, they had uh, they had played it. But the guy, I don't know the what they would have dropped. Yeah, I don't know what oh, they would have dropped. No, no, yeah, and there's nothing on the yeah. set list that I would have removed for this song. Um, but yeah, no, I. Yeah, and again, I mean, it's, it's very not. Yeah, and it's very not Steinman. It's very not Bad Out of Hell in, in this mm-hmm. you know weird amalgam that he gets us into on Bad Out of Hell 3 where it's some Steinman, some random stuff. We all kind of put it together in this big melting pot that is Bad Out of Hell 3, the monster is loose. But, but yeah, no, it's the, one that, it's the one that stood out on the first listen, and it, and it still stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeff, this you got anything exactly on like you, Yeah, exactly like you said. It's that, like, you might... Might be a little punch drunk, but he's still he's still standing, you know, and I think that's I feel like that's just very representative of Meatloaf's entire life. You know, I think it's something that from when he was very young, you know, he didn't have the easiest childhood. You know, he was looked at as nothing more than his weight for a long time. But like, look at him now, you know, one of the best selling artists of all time. You know, it's like there's he may not be on the echelon of like the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and like those those kind of people. But if there's a second tier, he's going to be right there as far as like total success and album sales. But as far as like an original artist and like just sticking with who he is for his entire life, there's nobody better than him. You know, I don't think anybody's ever done what he has to the extreme that he has and had the success that he did. You know, I don't. I think a lot of other people would have burned out long before he did, or anyone that's been around this long didn't ever go quite as hard as he did. You know, and I think a song like "Alive" is a great retrospective song. Think, you know, it came out 16 years ago. He just passed away, so it's not as if this was like the end for him or anything like that. He came out with a few albums after this, um, but it's, you know, I think just a statement of like at least closing the battle to hell chapter of his of his career and i think it was like look at how far we came with this look at all the things that happened in between and i think alive is just such a great representation of like an all-encompassing kind of retrospective song and this dovetails with unless you have more to say about alive i just was going to say that uh desmond child uh got hired to produce this album because he showed meatloaf the song alive and that it was written like about kind of meatloaf's like struggles in life and stuff and that's when meatloaf was like you're you're gonna produce this you're my guy you get it yeah mm-hmm. well my pick if only god could talk is quite simply for me the reason i picked it is we know that meatloaf's greatest success came with jim steinman they had 
a brotherly relationship that was frequently adversarial. They had little periods where they fell out, but they never really stopped talking and they didn't really feud. Their management sued each other. They had times where they were pissed at each other and they would snipe. But for the most part, these were two guys that really loved each other and, and were at their best working together. And we know what happens when Meatloaf tries to uh, fuck the dog and have someone else hold the head. Because <laughs> the songs are incomprehensible fucking garbage and they don't suit his voice. This is an interesting example for me because, like I said, Tanner and I picked two songs that were not Steinman tunes. And this, mm-hmm. to me, is an example that Meatloaf isn't defined by Jim Steinman, nor was Jim Steinman by Meatloaf. Greatest success, but not defined by one another. Synonymous, but not solely beholden to each other. Mm-hmm. This is a song that Meatloaf tears the ass out of. I think it's a not a great song. I think it is made by Meatloaf. I think if you gave this to anybody else, this is a it's flatter than piss on a rock. I I would not like this song if not for Meatloaf, and he t- makes it not mm-hmm. just tolerable. He makes me love this fucking song. I believe all the emotion he puts behind it. I believe his what I interpret to be his mindset while he's singing it. Again, we're talking about the old man at the end of the road, especially with the three bats. I believe every single thing he's doing. I, I feel his conviction in this song. And that, to me, is, again, the strength of Meatloaf and his talent. Is It's, it's undeniable if you give him something, he's going to put his spin on it, and he's probably going to knock it out of the park. If he gives himself something, it's a different story. Anybody else, give it your best shot. Yeah, this, I mean, so if God could talk, yes, Tanner, this was the one that I thought you were going to yeah. pick on this one. I recall some conversations that Jeff and I had back in the day about this song. <laughs> <laughs> and also Cry Over Me. Yeah, yeah, another one I really don't like that. <laughs> yeah, much. that's you know, I don't like the doo wop. thirty-one-year-old me, maybe I don't like that song anymore. The twenty-whatever-year-old me, <laughs> maybe were, I was into it. I don't there, know. there was it was a tumultuous <laughs> period in in the young tan man's life. I'm an impressionable child in a tumultuous world, and they say I'm in a difficult <laughs> stage. <laughs> I mean, that's those are my thoughts on my pick. I don't know what anyone says. Yeah, else has no, I I would agree that like. Anybody else doing this song, it wouldn't be worth listening to. I loved this song from the first time I heard it until now. I, I still like the way that um, the chorus loads in with that, you know, why don't you run away, find yourself alive. Again, it's the song after Alive, and it's got the word alive in it. Yep. And it's written by different people ostensibly, so maybe I'm making a connection that doesn't really exist. But um, And again, it, it's, it's a relatively short song. We get a little bit of the angry meatloaf on the bridge here, you know, with the guitar going. But, uh, yeah, I I think this is a good, it's a good meatloaf love song. It's about love lost, you know. Um, And, yeah, and, and it fits in with the canon of the feeling of all the Bad Out of Hell albums, I would say. Jeff, anything to say about this one before we wrap it up here i think this one fits in to the canon of the bad out of hell albums as well as like the flavor in a in a lacroix it's there it's meatloaf i don't i don't mind it yeah but you know just for me this was not not my favorite one but again it's like i just feel like that 
long into his career, him being able to like pull that voice out of himself and just like will it to happen at that admirable to say the very least about the entire battle to hell three album, whether, whether it stood up song for song as well as the other bad, bad albums did, you know, I think it's, you know, pretty obvious that it doesn't, but when it hits, it hits, it's just as good as it ever was with him. Um, in this album too, like he had Brian May on a song on this album. Mm-hmm. He had Bad Jennifer Hudson on a song. He brought back Patty Russo for another song. So like he made this like a very much like a career retrospective for himself. Cause Brian May, obviously part of queen, a band very popular at the same time that meatloaf was, you know? So that's like kind of hearkening back to that Patty Russo, somebody that he had, that had been part of his career. You know, and Jennifer Hudson at that point, 2006, you know, she's known around the world as one of the like a number one picks. If you ever need like a national anthem song or like a tribute song song or anything like that. I don't know if she's really done original music, but she can sing her ass off, you know, and this was like an up and coming like the next generation of a singer like Meatloaf that just like could hit every single emotion and really just put a song over the top with their vocal ability. You know, I just thought it was so cool on this album, the way he just like always paid homage to the past, but just like with alive was like, no, I'm still here doing this. Like I'm still actively doing this. It might be the end of like the bat saga in my life, but this is, this is something that I'm going to continue to do because I love to do it. Yeah. And real quick, one more thing that this album crystallizes for me is he's not an old man stuck in the past certain things about you are fundamentally you and a lot of the sensibilities that have gone into the three bad albums his voice that's all kind of innate to meet love so instead of just like let's go back to the well although on bad out of hell 2 jim steinman was like yeah it's a continuation of the story and meet love said yeah if we call it bad out of hell 2 it'll sell a shitload that aside it, it it really isn't just like going back to the well to recreate what worked it it's what works about you on a fundamental level written on your DNA. And he was mm-hmm. the best in the biz at what he did. And we, we, we get, you know, seize the night is like the final bit of Steinman true bombast. They did braver than we are, you know, way later on, but like seize the night at almost 10 minutes long is the closest thing to the mini musical that you kind of get off this album. Uh, the monster is loose a little bit, but like Seize the Night has the operatic swings, it has the string section. It's got really everything, uh, everything going for it. And I did just want to to jump in and say, uh, going back to if God could talk, this guy Marty Fredrickson co-wrote it with Desmond Child, and Marty Fredrickson also co-wrote Jaded with Aerosmith. Uh, <laughs> we all contain multitudes. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also would perform the lead vocals for the fake band in Almost Famous. Uh, but I know these things. I'm reading off a tablet. Uh, he, that's what he three, wants us to think. Yeah, Check yeah. That tablet. There's not. That's a black screen. There's nothing it's there. Ju- it's just I, I've just uh, written nutty words on it. Um, <laughs> It's like, like, like you said, it's the closing of the door on the Bat Out of Hell trilogy. It feels like the Bat Out of Hell trilogy just sounds better rolling off the tongue than Bat 1 and 2. 
And Steinman always saw two as like Battle of Hell Part Two. Like he said that he saw it like the Godfather movie series, yes, right? Yep. The continuation of the story. And then you know Meatloaf kind of came in and was like, "We'll sell a bunch if we do this." Um, again, for all the great they did together, maybe they get some decisions wrong over time. Uh, but you close the door on the Bat trilogy with this. This is the tour that Jeff and I saw Meatloaf on. Was the Three Bats tour? Um, there are some absolute rippers on this album, but but again, like in terms of pound for pound, best meatloaf albums that he did. You know, I I don't know if I would put this on that upper echelon necessarily. The nostalgia is there, the name recognition is there, but again, if you're looking for meatloaf bad out of hell songs, it's got to be you know one and two before you before you get down to to bad three. Yeah, I don't think three is getting anybody into meatloaf for the first time. Yeah, correct. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a super fair yeah. assessment. And again, it's yeah. lacking the essence in parts that the first two have. Yeah. So, I think we've reached the end of the road here. An appropriate point. Would everyone like to go around and give kind of a a, a brief final eulogy for meatloaf and what he meant to you and what you what you think about just. No, no rules, I guess. Just like something you want to say about meatloaf. Yeah, um, uh, this isn't. These aren't my words, but it's my feeling. Um, the other day at work, I was watching, you know, random meatloaf YouTube videos to to get ready for this, and and this YouTube commenter, uh, meatloaf live in Florida, is a video that's on YouTube, and it's it's in the Battle of Hell two era. He's playing a lot of Bat two, Bat one songs on it, and uh, this this YouTube commenter obviously is writing on this after Meatloaf had passed. And the, the line is, Bless you, Jim and Meat. You truly gave us the fountain of youth. We are just a bunch of lost boys who will never grow up. And that's really how I, how I feel about it is, I hear a Meatloaf song off Bat 1 or Bat 2, and I'm immediately, you know, 17 again in, in, in Jeff's Ford Focus. Like, you know, I might be... Mm-hmm. 31 in the here and now but in my mind and in my mind's eye i'm i'm back there and uh there's a lot of you know lost boys and golden girls off bat too a lot of peter pan stuff jim steinman loved the peter pan story and it's it's interwoven through everything and yeah i just think that that's that surmises it pretty much perfectly for me is and thank you random youtube commenter on meatloaf live in florida for providing me with that context <laughs> <laughs> You never know where where you're going to find gold. You know? I know. You never know. You never know. But you know, meat meatloaf was just such a unique, and just because of that, a very inspirational person. You know, just to you know, I don't know how much true. You know, how strong the adversity was. You know, I know he didn't have the easiest childhood, but to do the things in the time that he did, which is like doing musical theater as somebody that's built like specifically to play football and then to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do musical theater and like all the things that he had to deal with from his family to do that. And then to give us just the pieces of himself that he gave us in the three bad albums and, and the rest of the rest of his music as well, but especially those, since that's what we, we were talking about today. And I think what he's most known for, obviously maybe being the bus driver in spice world, he might be more known for that. Um, but it's just the way, the way that I, you know, started listening to him is really my first like band that I remember, like him and Aerosmith were like the first things that I really remember, like going and seeking it out 
and like I'd, I really, I want to hear more of this. It was those two CDs for a few years. And I never really, like as I grew up, the music is like has enough funny stuff in it, enough interesting musical notes to like, it's interesting when you're young, you know. But as you get older and you start to understand the themes and you get that humor a little bit more, it's like the first time you watch Austin Powers when you were like 10. You're like, oh, this is funny. Ha ha. You made a poop joke. Ha ha. But then you get older and you realize that like in my country, men come first and women come second and sometimes not at all. You know, it's like that kind of joke that you don't get when you're 10. But you do now. And it's like, I feel like that's the same thing with Meatloaf's music is like, as you grow up, it grows with you, even though it was already recorded. And that's why I think from like when I was 20 to when I was 10 to when I'm going to be 70, you know, it's like I'm always going to love Meatloaf because of what he represented in his music. Just the originality, the the bold like vision to be unique and to team up with someone as wild and weird as Jim Steinman. It was just like nobody to me could ever fill that void. Well, you talk about inspiration, and I think for me, the thing I'll always remember that connects me to Meatloaf, the thing I'll thank him for the most is, I again, Lamo put this on my Instagram, but as a chunky kid with a set of pipes, you hear someone like Meatloaf, you see someone like Meatloaf, how can you not feel connected to him? How can you not feel inspired? He was me, and I am him, and not to compare our successes and, and necessarily level of talent, but that was someone that I saw myself in, and that's very, very, very rare, not just for me, but for a lot of people. There are a lot of people out there who want to look out and see themselves in musicians that they can admire, and I was very, very fortunate to have that with Meatloaf. I've been fortunate to be listening to his music from a young age, and I also want to thank Jim Steinman for writing the music that powered Meatloaf. There would be no Meatloaf without Jim Steinman. There would be no Jim Steinman without Meatloaf. Thank you both. You guys helped make me who I am today. Yes, and, and make sure that you let us know. We want to hear about what your memories with Meatloaf are. Because you know, we know there's a bunch of you out there that have the same kind of core memories we do, and we'd love to hear about it. So when you... When you hear this, you know, let us know where wherever it is, whether it's you see it on Instagram, you see it on YouTube, wherever it is, just let us know about your memories about Meatloaf. Because if you've listened to him like we have, you've got one or two in the chamber. And I think it's now's a great time to kind of remember the man for who he was as an artist, who he was as a human. Um, and, you know, know that we were witness to something special while he was alive. Um so is there anything else that either of you had to add this week? Any Anything you want to plug? Anything you want to make sure we cover? My furnace has a leak in it. I'd like to plug that. <laughs> hi <Hi-oh. laughs> <laughs> I'm serious, though. It's leaking water right there. I have a little thing of Tupperware under it. <laughs> I, I can see it. It's true. <laughs> oh, it just kicked and on it in response. On. <laughs> um, I just want to say thank you, Tanner. Thank you for coming oh. on and doing this with us. Uh, like absolutely pleasure, absolutely all mine. Uh, you guys are trending up, my boys. Uh, so yeah, if you're not listening, you're not hearing me say this, and you're stupid. And if you are listening, hook your uh, 
hook your wire onto these guys and get along for the ride because there's some really, really cool stuff coming down coming down the pike from, from out on that line. And again, I just consider myself very lucky to be able to sit down and, and talk about uh, what you know this musical artist meant to to w- with two of my best friends. Uh, and it's really is it's a tie that binds us together among many other things, experiences in life and everything, but the, you know, one constant that we have, the three of us, is is our love for Meat Loves Music. So thank you for the for the opportunity to come out and spill spill my guts a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I think if we've got nothing else, you know, thank you, Tanner. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm sure we'll have you on again, hopefully sooner rather than later, here in the future. Till next time. Yeah.